the unlearning principle is to be courageous requires you in every single instance to unlearn something and to reframe your mental model. Welcome to the Unlearn Podcast, where host Barry O'Reilly seeks to synthesize the superpowers of extraordinary individuals to think big, start small, and learn fast. Here's your host, Barry O'Reilly. Welcome to the Unlearn Podcast. On this show, I'm delighted to be joined by Kyle Hermans, CEO of Be Courageous. Now, Kyle has led transformation initiatives for literally hundreds of Fortune 1000 companies and startups to help them identify performance breakthroughs and generate billions in return on investment. He's also a faculty member at Singularity University, where we first met, and guest lecturer at Berkeley, USC, and UCLA. He's also currently leading the world's largest study on the psychology of courage, help leaders prepare for moments of courage. He's an international speaker, performance musician, well, at least a drummer anyway, and believes everyone is capable of living a courageous life. I'm really excited to have him on this show to talk about what courage means to him and the link between courage and unlearning. But before we go into his latest work, let's start where it began from him in South Africa. So for anybody that's trying to guess the accent in South Africa, it's very muddled. It's a bit like a stew now, but leaving South Africa, well, there was a couple of things. One was that it wasn't that I really wanted to leave South Africa. It was more like an incentive. My father had gifted me a return ticket. He said, if you complete all your studies and you graduate well and you get your degree, I'll give you a one-year open ticket. And it was to actually the Netherlands. He was Dutch. And so I also had the added benefit that when South Africa was just wrapping up apartheid, which is a really good thing that we were like really actively trying to help dismantle as sort of the youth of South Africa. I really thought that South Africa was the center of existence, was the center of the universe. Like we were just it, like Cape Town was it. And everything was always just on TV because we were cut off from the rest of the world. There was no real people coming in and out. No bands came, no like stuff, because it was all sanctioned. You couldn't come in, you couldn't come out. People were rebelling against the place. It took a while for TV to come in too. So the stuff that we got was TV and then it was like bootleg MTV tapes or like random things that foreigners who would come in who had family or heritage, they would bring stuff. That was our connection to the outside world. So when I left, when he said open ticket and he said, you're going to arrive in Holland, go and apply for your Dutch passport so you get dual yeah. nationality so you can move around more freely. I was like, yeah, whatever, dad, you know, nah. And then I arrived there and I still remember the day I arrived. I just partied the whole weekend. It was summer. I packed up some things that I thought was like I was going to go away for a couple of weeks. It wasn't like a year. I think I even packed like pictures and cassette tapes and just random stuff. Oh, I don't know how to prepare for moving to another country. <laughs> you know, like what is another country? To me, it's like the town over the road. You know, it's like it's going to be the more of the same. It's going to be like South Africa. I arrive in one of the coldest winters. And I'm dressed like a dude who's just come off the beach in Cape Town. And I arrive and I land into Skiphole Airport. And for anybody that knows Skiphole Airport, it's a city, probably the size of Cape Town. And there were high-speed trains and everything was just amazing. And everyone looked so cool and so together and fashion. And they were all dressed in these big jackets. And I got off the train and I, I just literally freaked out. I was like, everything I ever thought about my reality is just gone to you know, it's just, it's done. <laughs> and this is like, I had to unload everything, everything. I would say that's the one moment. And then the second moment that, that came through 
was following the corporate structure, following the corporate ladder. I'd done consulting and corporate jobs, but I realized like in consulting, you got to work your way up through the ranks. And I'd run my own design agency. I had some experience as an entrepreneur that got acquired. So there was those little bits, but there was this thing of getting to America and getting to South Africa, I mean, getting to San Francisco, where I got the opportunity to get in the corporate system and get those benefits and those, you know, everything from the 401k plans to share packages because I'm at a senior executive level and these big impact things on global brands. And I was like, oh man, I've made it. Like, this is amazing. And then I got headhunted into Lippincott Oliver Weinman and a big consultancy and everything on paper was like mapping out to be great. And it just didn't work out like who I was and who they were and probably how I was wired and how those systems were wired just wasn't a fit. And I was like, the biggest thing for me, as you said to my energy, is that I have so much to give. Maybe it's incredibly overbearing for a lot of people a lot of the time. And probably, I don't know if it's intimidating, it's just, it's just like a waterfall coming at you. And in a structured system that's very hierarchical, that's legacy, that's been working a certain way for decades and decades and decades. And in that particular business that was New York centric, and I went to New York to the head office and met the senior leaders of the business. You've got to do your due diligence. It's like, oh, it's two to three years before you make the next level. Then it's another five before you make it. And I was like, well, how do you fast track that? That was my first question. Yeah. The first day was like, well, how do I do that in two years? Like, you don't. And I'm like, ah, there must be a way. And then I just yeah. infuriated everybody around me. And so really saying the only way to do what you want to do in life, unless you truly in one of the remarkable, rare occasions, find a company that will embrace you and take you as you are and then unleash you in their system, which is almost non-existent. And I do culture transformation. Like there's always a piece of you you have to reshape and file off and to fit into the system because that's the system. The only way to truly be fully unleashed and fully expressed is to do it yourself. That was the second major moment that just came through. I love these examples. They're both a personal experience and professional one in many ways as well. This gift that your parents gave you to like put you totally outside this comfort zone, but also a space that had sort of been created around you. It's very fascinating even to hear you talk about living in South Africa, Cape Town, an amazing city, beautiful city to grow up in, but yet at a time where it's closed off from the world and then you're put into skip all airport, which is chaos, you know, in like a three mile radius and going from summer to winter, like all, all these very different experiences, right? To help you to grow, to expand your horizons. Fascinating to sort of have those opportunities. And just listening to you tell that story of what that would have been like, what an experience to go through. And also how you sort of work that into everything that you do. Like I say, you've been part of these phenomenal companies like Lippincott and very senior roles to, in those fantastic institutions, right through to now this fantastic business you've built for yourself about being courageous and mm -hmm. the team that works with you and all the great businesses you work with around the globe now about helping people be more courageous. So talk a little bit about what got you to that point. How did you find that word, that expression? that sort of encapsulates a lot of what you are about, right? Like I've had the pleasure to work with you in Singularity on programs where we're 
typically trying to help companies totally reframe their future perspectives, like it set okay. them on a different trajectory, embrace technology. And to your point, like go into the system and shake it up. And as you say, in some scenarios, people embrace that and it's special and the company changes. In other scenarios, people have the allergic reaction and they're like, whoa, 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 this is, we're not ready for this or this isn't what we wanted. I've seen you navigate all those types of environments. We'll talk a little bit about that later, but let's start with the notion of being courageous, because I think that encapsulates you as an individual. How do we you struck by that moment of realizing, you know what, I might be a senior exec here in Lippincott, one of the greatest creative agencies on the planet, but I'm actually, I need to be in this space, I'm going to go create. Origin story, a little bit of courage and how it even applies in those places. I'll backtrack to something you said just now. Those two examples I gave you, I didn't realize until now, like speaking with you, that I actually now intentionally put myself into what I'm going to aptly after this interview call my skip hole moment, where I actually intentionally get on a plane and go to a weird place metaphorically without those moments in my life where you kind of get shocked, you know, when you go from saunas to ice baths or you know, like those things that people do in these days to kind of shock the system. If I don't have those, and I want them to be healthy experiences, don't get me wrong, like I don't want to be like in some crazy. South African culture, my friends, anybody listening to this interview that my friends are going to probably text me and keep me really humble. They're just going to go like, oh, you sounded like this. And they'll send me insults and like, you know, they'll they just keep me super, super humble always. And I think courage for me, the pursuit of courage is staying humble, yet it's like humble curiosity, which is like, I'm not going to get too trapped by the things I've done or be too defined by where I've been and what I've been doing, which is quite easy to be done. But what I'm going to do is put myself into a place where I'm going to always be probably not the smartest person in the room. I have so much to learn. I don't understand. I have to ask for help. This is a new game. I'm in a whole new system. I've got to work my way up. Like, humble, but at the same time, humble and hungry and curious. I'm making that realization right now. So thank you for that, Barry. So the origin story for Courage, I got to work for a long time helping to develop an innovation agency called Synectix that turned into Synectix World. And one of the founders, his name is George Prince, and they've launched a bunch of really great books. If you actually look at Synectix in the dictionary, it'll say a problem-solving methodology. So you could almost trace back, and there'll be arguments about this, I'll stand in Synectix's corner, that the origin of design thinking actually comes from their body of knowledge that got then evolved into structure and corporatized. But some of the origins of the characteristics of behaviors of team dynamics and creativity can be traced to that body of knowledge. And so when I fell into that and discovered that, it was a game changer. But George Prince had a quote. Well, I would use that quote at the front of presentations on hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of workshops all over the world for a decade, it would be another word for creativity is courage. But the application of it was build a sandbox and a sand pit and get weird and get playful, which now corporate places are like, it's not about pinball machines and <laughs> beanbags and like it's serious. Innovation's a serious game. Back then, it was just the creative part of the innovation process that I was playing in. And I didn't realize it had a lot more dimension. And so George Prince said this thing, another word for creativity is courage. We were at our own internal corporate offsite in Boston on a very, very cold, wintry day. And it was the meeting that sort of ended up 
creating a separation in the company of two sort of thought leadership groups. There was the legacy thought leadership that were maintaining the heritage and the integrity of the original content, which is really important. You want the essence to hold pure. And then there's the new God, the younger mind saying, yeah, but we need to evolve this. It's a new modern world. What does this mean in today's thing? It could be got to call a different thing. There was just a little too much friction. And this, there was this argument where both teams had the right point of view because they were both believed in the purpose of their direction. And on the screen was another word for creativity is courage. And I saw it different, which was like, whoa, everybody has something inside of them that they may never, ever self-express. They may never do the job. They may never do the passion project. They may never ask that person out. They may never really vocalize who they truly want to be. And it takes courage because the creative act itself is probably one of the hardest. And it's generally not in kind, sweet, loving, sort of the beanbag conditions. It's in extremely hostile, difficult, vulnerable. And I had this epiphany, which was, this is it. I want to help people around the world be courageous because I'd felt it. And I've found little ways to figure it out myself. And then I just wanted to kick that door open and keep going. And that's the epiphany. And then it stuck with me. 2013, when I met my wife, we registered the company as a concept. So we both had full-time jobs. While I was at Gap and stuff, Be Courageous was a concept. Registered as an LLC in 2013. And we used it as a side hustle to send people to. We said, hey, if the corporate world is too structured, We've got this thing called Be Courageous where we just go mess with stuff. We go break things. We poke at systems. We super rebellious. We like really renegades and pirates. And we would have a few clients go and push on that. Almost like the way that people call innovating on the edge. We would go play in those spaces and then bring what was acceptable back to the business. But we did it there. And then by 2017, that side hustle was like the thing was we the could business. not yeah, stop I love it. dreaming about. And then we just quit. And it all lined up, and now we're almost seven years into this. I love it. It's such a great innovation pattern in itself. You know, like take it off and grow it and turn it into something fantastic, which you have. It's just a great moment as well. Creation is actual courageousness. You're right on doing something that's never been done before, whether it's personally, whether it's creating something. And I've seen sort of the magic of you helping people have that moment of, recognizing even showing up sometimes to these experiences where they're trying to innovate their business is an act of courage. You're sort of signing up to be the person to change the system, try and shift this. And when you're often in these massively successful organizations that are successful because of the systems and structures often they create, and you're going to be someone who's going to say, right, we're going to try and change that. I know a lot of people listen to this podcast are that person in these companies. They are the change agent. They are the person who is trying to shake it up. And courage is such a huge part of that. It's a hard job. It's a lonely job. Sometimes at times you're misunderstood. You feel like you're the antibodies come after you. You're the new cell in the system. But someone who's played that role both in corporates as well as helped people play that role, What have been some of the things you've had to learn and unlearn, if you will, about being courageous? What are some of the misnomers where maybe people think they have to bust down the door and tell people, oh, they get excited and this is how you do it. But what have you learned from being that person as well as helping other people to become that person in their companies? I'll answer that by sharing that 
we all struggle with an imposter syndrome at some point, <laughs> you know, like, is what I'm saying even matter or care or relevant? Does my work matter? And what we've got right now, partnering with the University of New York's New Sunny Pulse and their evolutionary department and a really great professor. They're probably one of the top professors on evolutionary studies of human beings. We've now got the world's largest independent study on the characteristics of courage. I got some learnings and I got some themes and I've got some stuff that I can share about what I've learned along the way. But as a consultant, when you go in and say, oh, we've done this ongoing study, we're reflecting on all these sessions and we're learning and dissecting and theming. It's interesting. People go, yeah, but it's not backed by academia. So you're just a consultant. You're going to say what you need to say to get the follow-on work. And I'm like, no, legit, look, we care. You see me, Barry, like I can't, maybe I care a little too much sometimes, but I really care about people pushing on their courage and overcoming fear and mitigating fear because I've been through it. We get to coach and work with a lot of people to be through it. So we said, okay, let's get this academically back. Because as soon as we say science says, suddenly the level of believability goes up, which is powerful. In that study, I framed it that way because for anybody listening, I had to put that in to say, this isn't just my thoughts. We now have those academically backed. <laughs> but those learnings, because one of the things is I had to check, is it just me or are there consistencies? We've interviewed over a few thousand people and it's still ongoing. And that's a massive study. That's a massive study across the yeah. world, many countries. And what I've learned, this is going to be new. I don't think I've ever actually said this. This is a new thought that came up just this last week in, in thinking about some of this research is that I think true innovators and entrepreneurs actually do care. They care about something. They care about a vision. They care about a purpose. People that are inside like entrepreneurs inside of businesses that sit and seize, they really do care. When you care a lot and you face a lot of resistance and you're just not willing to quit, we can sometimes adopt what I'm calling the caretaker archetype. And the caretaker archetype means that we now have to fix everyone else's problems and we have to take on more and we have to suffer more pain and we have to suffer more punishments in order to get something through. And if there's anything that I can say to those inside, like just in this last year of undergone, like being coached by my mentors and stuff, where end of last year, I felt like all these things that I'd learned about courage was just a Everything felt like such a fight. You've got to fight to make change and fight to make transformation and push. And, and it was ex exhausting. And by the end of last year, I was like, I'm done. And I even sat contemplating, do we even carry on with the agency? Like, is this something I still want to be doing? Like, is it really worth it? When people are sitting in a room, you help them get a realization and a breakthrough. They know it's the right thing to do. The company knows they're going to make a bucket ton of cash. They're going to adopt and acquire new users. They've got to completely elevate their brand, but it's super risky. And then they don't do it and they double down on what they always used to do. And you go like, how many more times can we go through this? When they know what they need to do, but the dependency of keeping their jobs outweighs progress. And the fear to like, well, what will this actually do to my system? The fear of change, the fear of the responsibility of the transformation and what the courage is asking you to do. The fear of outweighs the courage. And so I've come to realize like, I've adopted a mental model reframe, which is you have to follow your nurture, not follow the punishment, but I would always take on following the punishment. Oh, that's the hard room. Dive into the hard room and battle and rah and convince and courage. And now it's actually like some things are better just left alone. Some people are never going to make that change happen. Some innovation is just not destined to go further than where it's at. There was great learning, but those things are going to be taken by an entrepreneur and 
deploy it somewhere else. And that's actually the natural evolution of what should be happening. And I had to really learn, and through you, Barry, I've got to say, working with you and on sessions with you is my favorite, but the unlearning principle is to be courageous requires you in every single instance to unlearn something and to reframe your mental model. And so I think the biggest things for me is this push, this fight, this always go, this always believe to the point of exhaustion was sometimes it's just never going to happen in that container, in that form, with those teams, with that dynamic, with that thinking structure. And it doesn't matter how motivation or, or positive or how much belief I have, that caretaker archetype is, I will take care of you. I will take the responsibility of you onto me and show you the way. What ends up happening is you're actually taking away someone's learning. I was taking away people's learnings. I was taking away the experience because I was so fixated on making this thing happen for me and for that team that I was missing the sign saying, it's not here, not today, not in this way, not in this structure, not in this format. And if you really follow your nurture, is this environment nurturing? No. Is this team nurturing? No. Is this situation and system nurturing? No. So then follow your nurture. That's hands down probably one of the biggest lessons of courage, where before I thought courage was quite dimension to battle and push and fight and you know you face the line coming from Africa. <laughs> now I'm realizing the spectrum has expanded and courage is actually now letting go, unlearning, saying no, being vulnerable, stepping away, cutting things loose, and knowing when you can't affect a change in a place, taking that energy, preserving it. And what I find is that the universe suddenly kind of opens up a portal that says, oh, but these folk are ready, or these folk are willing to hear and try, and then deploy it over there. It doesn't mean that the other place will never do it. It just means it's not their time yet. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and like, just listening to you there, it was really interesting for you to talk about all these different characteristics that I sense are informed for your own experience, but obviously backed by the research you've done, right? But the way you were describing it, it's not the time, it's not the place, it's not the people, it's not the environment. There are so many components to this. It's funny as well as you explained it. It's like, I don't really care about winning, but I hate losing. There's something about that mentality then sometimes that you'll just keep trying to find like, what do I need to do differently? How do I need to shape this recipe to get the breakthrough? But there's also those moments of saying, actually, you know, as you've explained fantastically here, it's like, there are times where the right thing to do is say, no, we tried it and the circumstances and situation just isn't right that we need to just put this down and move on. And I experience this in the studio all the time with like ideas for companies and that moment of excitement, the eureka of, oh yeah, wouldn't it be amazing if this flying car was plugged into a robot that could do backflips and deliver nachos on Tuesdays? Just before <laughs> dinner time, and then you're like, yes, this is going to work. Then you start to dig in and you realize, okay, right, this isn't the circumstance for it to be successful right now. And it's so hard to put it down and move on. Just like in companies, when you're trying to drive these changes and people's mindset shifts, it's so hard to sort of say, you know what, right now I need to put my energy into where there is natural momentum, where I'm not always pushing the boulder up the hill. So like can create momentum and bring more people with me rather than try to change one or two folks on the edge case that are blocking. 
it's a pattern of just sort of, I see a lot, you know, and very hard to get to grips with and make choices sometimes to pause and to go in another direction. But tell us more about what you've seen through the research and your experience here on those things about the relationship between courage and unlearning and recognizing when it's time to like shift focus as well. Yeah. So there's a couple things that I find and just visualize with me for a second. What's quite interesting is courage and unlearning are interconnected. I actually think it's another dimension, although it didn't show up in the research because I don't think we were like hunting for that. I'll give you a couple of dimensions. What the research is hitting back is, and I'll list a few characteristics of these and just give a quick headline to each. There are certain characteristics, traits. We were first thought there were psychological traits, but then that was a little too prescriptive, like personality. Characteristics are that there are these characteristics which you could choose to take on or not take on, but they live on and they show up differently for each other. So we found that calling it, saying that this is the psychology of courage was a little limiting, but calling it the characteristics of courage was great. So the first one is intentionality. And some of these will appear just so no-brainer. Let me step take, take a step back. So where there is fear, there is courage. And where there is courage, there is fear. Now, what's quite interesting is that most people will associate, oh, if I'm going to do a courageous act, it's because I'm overcoming a fear. That relationship is pretty straightforward. What most people don't realize, and I see this day in and day out when we run in ideate and sessions and coach and train, is that somebody goes, oh, but I'm really afraid of this. And what they don't realize is that behind this big wall of fear and doubt and self-doubt, the courage lives there on the other side of it. It's a double-sided coin. What we discovered is a simple question that breaks through that every single time, which is to go like, okay, so what's the fear? Oh, this is the fear. I'm in fear of being rejected. I'm in fear of this failing. I'm okay. What's the courage needed in this moment? That's the question. What's the courage needed? And people answer immediately. Well, if the fear wasn't there, the courage needed is that I would just get up and keep going and break it down. I'm like, ah, exactly. Let's write that down, you know? And we can even say like, hey, I'm feeling courageous. That's great. Or I'm doing something courageous, which is not a common thing that people will go and do. They won't go like, I think I'm going to be courageous today. I know this because I wake up with this every morning going, my purpose is to courage the future. So I ask, where's the courage needed? But I have to ask, it isn't that I just wake up and like, I'm going to hunt a lion today and face down a giant thing. No one does that. Like, oh, I'm going to kick back and relax and have a day off. And like, that's where we live most of the time. But what's interesting is that if you want to understand, like I always say to people in our sessions is build a relationship with what you fear. The very first thing is just get clear on what you're fearing and then really spend a bit of time analyzing. I'm really afraid of like taking on this new venture because the revenue and who knows, what if it fails? I'm like, okay, great. So where's the data proof or evidence that the fear is real? And the more we dig into it, we realize that it is a projection of a scenario of a future that hasn't yet been manifested or created, or it's an imprint of something that had similar traits in the past that was a yeah, little proper. scary, but they still got yeah. through that they're projecting into the future. And so when you do that, you realize how many human beings are living their lives through a lens of fear, strategies, designs, choices, things, self-talk. They literally are minimizing their life off of the illusion of something that never has happened and never will happen. For anyone listening, if I had to say, write down the list of 10 things you feared the most and have any of them ever actually happened in your life, the chances are most people will say no. Yet, 
we act, behave, and make decisions in life as if they have happened. So if you say, what's the courage needed? You suddenly get a different set of characteristics available to you. Like they're literally right there. It's like a, looking at a tapas bar and saying, oh, there's a dish and I've only ever been eating lentils. <laughs> and then you suddenly yeah. look over here and like, wow, here's a big bowl of avocados. It's, like, it's just a completely set of variables. So what comes from that is intentionality. That's a characteristic. Intentionality is like, Am I waking up each day and doing what I'm doing with intention? Even if it's I'm taking a day off, are you doing it with intention, which means I'm doing it with not fear or judgment or self-punishment? No, I just, I intended to do this today. I, I feel this way. I want to do it. The second thing is purpose. And purpose is it's towards something greater than what I have or what I am, what I'm destined to become or what I'm excited to create. Purpose. And then the third one is curiosity, which is to say, and this is the probe into like, just bring the fear a little closer and you realize that most of it isn't real and it's an all an illusion. Curiosity is leaning in and breaking down things that seem massively complicated, incredibly difficult, like corporate change management and transformation. It can be done. It's just taken on as a huge thing. And it's up to you. Think big, start small. I've learned that from you and I've referenced that because to me, it's about, I call it 1% daily improvements. And I saw that in James Clear's book called yep, The Top yep, yep, Love yep. it. That's what it is. You've got to break it down to a point where you go, oh, that's not scary. You've got to break it down until it's not scary. Until the fear dissipates, you might have to subdivide that thing down. That's curiosity and then get curious. Then there's an openness. That's the fourth one, an openness to receive the unexpected and the unknown and what curiosity is going to produce for you. And when you get all of that, the next one's commitment. And these aren't in chronological order. The next one's commitment, which is to say, oh, and now I have choice. Now I actually have choice. If I have intention and I have some sense of purpose and my curiosity and my openness have produced options, which one am I committing to? That puts you in such a powerful place of ownership and control and cause. And then what happens is, of course, you're leaning into the unknown. That's the new. So the next one's embracing risk. Now, risk tolerance, we can go, I mean, I know you're amazing at this subject. There's different variants of risk. You could start small, you could start big. And as you're going through the risky thing, it's risky. It's not something I've tried before. I got on the plane and I went to the Netherlands. I was embracing a risk. I don't know. But my curiosity, my intention, and my purpose, and my openness are signaling to me it's not as scary as what I think it will be. And actually, my excitement has now outweighed my fear. If you look in the psychological analysis of the brain, when we're excited or when we're afraid, the same neurology shows up on the prince. What I often say to people, they're like, oh, that's too scary. I'm like, hang on. Before you make that decision and commit to the fact that this is a scary, let's just double check. Are you excited or are you afraid, which is actually stronger? And they sit back and go, you know what? It's excitement. There's fear there, but I'm actually more excited than I'm afraid. And they never realize that they could give themselves permission. So when you embrace the risk, the last two things is adaptability, because you're going to have to shake and objects are going to come at you and people around you are going to say, but Barry, you're changing. Don't do that. You have to be like this and you got to adapt and pivot and maybe it didn't fully work out or you want to try something new or you got to try five different ways. But the last one I think is the most important in this journey as a characteristic is, is acceptance. We as human beings refuse to accept the way things are. We try to undo 
what has happened. And we fight with the reality of what is. Just look at all news and media. It's like arguing that someone did a thing as if we could ever change it. <laughs> we can't. Once it's done, it's done. What we can do is shift how we responded or the choice we make next. And so I found that the fastest way to bring courage into your world is to accept what is. And Byron Katie, who's the, somebody I adore, her work is called The Work. She wrote a book called Loving What Is. And she said that the fastest way to happiness is to love what is, is to accept no matter how hardcore life is, and that may offend some people on this podcast, which is to say, but yeah, but Kyle, you don't understand how tough things are. I get it. I've gone through some stuff, like some pretty naughty stuff. But if I try to fight with the reality to pretend it isn't happening, I suffer. I suffer badly, and then I create strategies of suffering. But if I had to say to myself, you know what? I can't change this. I have to accept this for what it is, and it's going to take me a lot of courage to face this and make my choices. But as soon as you do that, you actually reduce your suffering and you increase your empowerment. Those are some of the characteristics. And I'll tell you the last one. I'll give you one more. The research showed up that the fastest way to activate all of those, intentionality, purpose, curiosity, openness, commitment, embracing risk, adaptability, and acceptance, is through altruism. We discovered that people will not do something courageous for themselves. Like if somebody says, oh, go, go and base jump off that clip. No, 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 I'm good. But if Barry was falling, I wouldn't hesitate to jump off if I knew that I had my shoot and I could catch you on the way down. What's so fascinating is that when given the same system, would you do this for yourself? No, no, people would sort of step back from a courageous decision. But if it was about helping another human being, there was no hesitation to put themselves into incredibly risky seriously difficult situations to help another human being, that activated all of the characteristics. So altruism, funny enough, doing something for someone else bigger than yourself is the fastest way to activate courage. So much great insight there. The one that sort of struck me instantly was even as I look at where do I need courage today? And I know it's a great framing question. We tend to like look at our work and look at task lists and what needs to be done. One of the things that I even catch myself doing is there's 10 things on that list and there's the stuff that's easy to do or hard to do and the stuff that I can do in my sleep and the stuff that I know is going to be difficult and hard and I have fears about. It's funny, like instantly even just listening to you. You've encouraged me to write down, like, what are the fears I have with some of these tasks that need to be done? And what courage do I need to tackle them? And instantly, it has helped me even zero in on the difficult conversation I know I need to have today. And it's encouraged me to do the work to be able to have that conversation to make the real progress on this list, not tick off 10 things and get nine of them done, but not do the thing that actually... If you let me adding one dimension to that list that you just wrote is when you said the fear and then what's the courage needed, just between what's the fear thing and what's the courage needed, ask, is that fear true? Just write, is it true? Is it true that what I think is going to happen is going to happen? Is it true that the thing I'm fearing is actually what the outcome will be? Maybe, maybe, but the chances are if you really lean into it, it's not true at all. And when you tick that list off, Barry, I'd be fascinated to check in. Like if you practice that for a couple of days and ping me back, if you've got the time to and say, 
I'd be so curious about the level of thing that you took on that day that you wouldn't have done three days before, just by asking yourself that question. I've noticed as soon as you say like, where's the courage needed today? What's the fear holding me back from the, is that fear true? What's the courage needed? Oh, I'm just going to get it done. And then suddenly it's like, wait a second. I have something for you, if you don't mind. I call it the courage bank. So everybody on this that's listening to this call, when I do this in my sessions, I actually have a slide where you see this like, I said, congratulations. I said, for me to you, my gift to you is I have just opened an account for you in the courage bank. And in that courage bank, I've made a few deposits. What I want you to do is I want you to go back and just think about your last week or your last couple of weeks. And I want you to just reflect on a few courageous things you did. Big or small, doesn't matter. Just write down a list of some courageous things that you did. Maybe it was saying no. Maybe it was going to bed early. Maybe it was like not eating that extra slice of something. <laughs> Look, maybe it was having a hard conversation or you actually moved something massive forward. What did you learn in that moment? What was the gift of that moment? What did the courage help you realize about yourself? Oh, I'm actually resilient. Oh, I'm actually gritty. I'm actually creative. I'm actually empathetic. I would say deposit that learning into your courage bank because one day, as you progress with the level of courage as tasks you're going to take on in your life, you're going to face something that requires you to do a withdrawal that requires exactly a similar thing that you deposited into that courage bank. So I've opened up a courage bank for you and put a bunch of deposits in, Barry. I've opened up a courage bank for everybody on this call and I've put a bunch of deposits in there for you. Man, I love this. Well, look. I'm looking forward to digging into my courage bank and making a few deposits and taking a few withdrawals. Look, it's been super to have you on the show, Kyle. Thank you very much for like sharing your story, all the amazing work that you're doing. I highly recommend people go and check out Be Courageous. Check out Kyle online. All of his info is in the show notes. I'm sure we're going to have you back again in the future to share more. I'll definitely Thank be you. sharing I- where I needed courage this week and many weeks ahead to make the stuff I'm trying to do happen. I really appreciate being on the show. If you don't mind, I feel like there's one question I didn't answer, but I'll do it super quick for you, which is what's the correlation between courage and unlearning? I think that the biggest correlation between courage and unlearning that I've now got from this interview is that you got to unlearn that fear is the only way to design your life. You have a choice and unlearning gives you a choice. You can do it how you've always done it, which is operate mostly through a lens of fear, or you could unlearn that and now gift yourself the opportunity to create your life through a lens of courage. Right on. Well, I look forward to myself and lots of listeners doing that. Thanks for being on the show, Kyle, and I'm sure we'll chat to you again soon. Yeah, I appreciate you, Barry. Thanks so much. Hey, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that show, but I'm even more delighted to share the exciting news I've recently co-founded a new venture studio named Nobody Studios. Now, Venture Studio is a vehicle for the rapid creation of new companies, from ideation to acceleration and growth. And our purpose at Nobody Studios will be to de-risk pre-seed stage business ideas. We'll do this by minimizing the time, speed and capital involved in validating truly repeatable and scalable business models before any significant venture investment. We've an audacious goal to start 100 compelling companies over the next five years, and who knows how many beyond that. So if you're interested in radically changing the way work is done, how products are created, companies built and funded, even democratizing the wealth creation and how returns are distributed, this could be the business for you. 
we're looking for talent, capital and influence. If you wish to contribute any or all of these, just get in touch. You can follow us on nobodystudios.com, on our LinkedIn page, all the social media accounts, or simply my newsletters and what I'm sharing. We'll be launching a truly innovative crowdfunding campaign, and I'd be honored if you'd be willing to join us on this journey and become a nobody yourself.